Hello everyone and welcome. This is the first of a few different segments that we're going to be rolling out for Student of the Game. We're calling this one Team Building Exercise, where we look back at some of the greatest collections of talent in sports history and try to figure out how the heck they happened. Now these aren't just great teams. They're teams that were overpowered in one way or another. They're the teams that were sitting on eight victory points and for whatever reason, people just kept trading them the brick they needed to get Longest Road and close it out. That's a Settlers of Catan reference, and honestly, if that's the only thing you learned from this entire episode, I'm fine with that. In any case, we're going to kick this segment off of one of the most dominant position groups since the turn of the 21st century, the 2011 Phillies and their four aces. Now, I will go ahead and say that this team is one of the few that will feature on this segment that didn't win a title. The 2011 Phillies actually lost in the division series, but we'll get to that. For now, let's focus on the fact that between these four guys, Cliff Lee, Roy Halladay, Roy Oswalt, and Cole Hamels, they've got 17 All-Star appearances and three Cy Young Awards. If I gave you the option to have that starting rotation, independent of the actual outcome of this season, you'd take it before I even got the words out of my mouth. It was an absurd, almost gluttonous level of talent and accomplishment to be hoarding at one position, and the on-field product reflected that. So, how did they make it happen? I'm Will Shingleton, and in this episode of Student of the Game, we're going to answer that exact question. first member of the Phillies Fab Four, or at least the earliest member, was Cole Hamels. They got him the old-fashioned way, through the draft. Despite having broken his humerus his junior year, the Phillies took Hamels 17th overall in the 2002 draft. And six years later, when he was named the World Series MVP, I'd say they were pretty okay with having made that pick. Even just a couple of years into his career, Hamels had already been named an All-Star, and looked like the kind of pitcher that the Phillies would be able to build their entire rotation around. And hey, that's exactly what they did. The Phillies kept their core of Hamels, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, and Chase Utley intact, and then just kept adding. They signed Raul Obanez that offseason, which made their already beefy lineup even beefier. But in practice, things were not going nearly as well in that 2009 season as they seemed like they would have done on paper. By the beginning of July, they were only three games over 500, and even though they'd end up having a 10-game winning streak that month and taking command of the division, it was clear that they'd need some more firepower if they wanted to make a run in a second straight championship. Which brings us to the second of the four aces, who will also be our first subject in a bit that I'm certain is going to be a recurring one as we do more of these. When teams try and make a push for the playoffs or a championship, they often turn to one of the more enigmatic and untrustworthy tropes of team building, the mid-season acquisition. These can be almost impossible to judge at the time, but more often than not, when you look back on them, they end up looking a little lopsided in one direction or another. You have to give up a ton of capital to pull one of these off. And sometimes it's worth it, and sometimes it isn't. For every CC Sabathia to the Brewers that does end up paying off, there's a Mark Teixeira to my beloved Braves, those sweet summer children, that doesn't. And curiously enough, Cliff Lee would be involved in two of these deals in the span of about a year. He won the American League Cy Young in 2008, but with that in mind, just listen to what the Phillies gave up to get him, literally the next year. Carlos Carrasco, Lou Marson, Jason Donald, and Jason Knapp. And I know, if there are any Phillies fans listening to this besides my in-laws, that at the time, these guys were the best the Phillies farm system had to offer. But in hindsight, oof. 
From there, Cliff Lee went on to be magnificent, of course, and helped pitch the Phillies to their second straight National League pennant, before they were beaten by the newly star-studded Yankees. From there, things got even more interesting, because to add the third piece to this dominant puzzle, they'd have to cut bait with the second, albeit temporarily. On a wild day back in December 2009, just a month or so after Cliff Lee had anchored their rotation to a World Series appearance, the Phillies did something drastic. They drained a lot of the talent from their farm system to get him, and they'd have to spend even more prospect capital to get their next target. So in a survivor-like blindside, the Phillies traded Cliff Lee to the Seattle Mariners for three of their top prospects. Just as an aside, that deal was also awful, but again, hindsight is 20-20. It still seemed like an insane thing to do, but it was somewhat validated by the fact that it would enable the Phillies to sign a long-term deal with the guy they were trying to get all along. The third member of the Four Aces, the late, great Roy Halladay. Literally the same day that Cliff Lee was traded, the Phillies sent Kyle Drabeck, Travis Darnot, and Michael Taylor to the Blue Jays for Halliday, one of the best pitchers of that generation. And he followed through on that. This was the best season of Roy Halliday's Hall of Fame career. He went 21-10, led the team with an 8.5 war, and more impressively, he pitched the 20th perfect game in the history of baseball in May, and followed that up with the postseason no-hitter in the NLDS. This was Roy Halliday at his absolute imperious best. And no matter what they had to give up for him, it would have been a win for the Phillies. They had their giant slayer. But the Phillies weren't done making big moves. Again struggling near the beginning of July, the Phillies moved for another star pitcher, albeit one who was not having the same kind of season as Halliday. The Phillies threw Roy Oswalt, who was stuck on a very mediocre Astros team and having one of the worst seasons of his career up to that point, a lifeline. It was a win for everyone. The Phillies could buy low on what was left of Roy Oswalt's all-star ability, and Oswalt could leave the Astros for a contender. And it played out like that. After going 6-12 for the Astros before the trade in 2010, Oswalt was dominant for the Phillies, going 7-1 with a 1.74 ERA and a minuscule .895 whip. He and Halliday were both outstanding and helped get the Phillies another division championship, but they ended up getting bounced in the NLCS by the eventual champion San Francisco Giants. But even after all of that, the Phillies still weren't done. Even though they'd traded him just a season before, the Phillies were more than happy to welcome one of their prodigal sons, Cliff Lee, back into the fold that offseason. So both by hook and by crook, the Phillies managed to wheel and deal their way into four of the best pitchers of the entire decade. And for not a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. It was a dominant regular season for the Phillies. Halliday, Lee, and Hamels were all amazing. And despite losing Jason Worth, one of their more consistent bats in the offseason, they still went a staggering 102-60 on their way to an easy division championship. But it wasn't to be in the playoffs. The Phillies ran into the wildcard team, the Cardinals, and were absolutely dominated by Chris Carpenter in the decisive Game 5. The peak for the four aces was over, but my goodness, was it fun while it lasted. If the Phillies' team-building strategy tells us anything, it's this. If you have the chance to trade prospects for known commodities, you should maybe do that. Sure, one of them might turn out to be Mookie Betts, but most of the time, no, not even close. Draft well, and that'll get you a few core guys to build around. But when it comes time to try and lure in that big fish, teams should think very long and hard before they cut bait.
I'm Will Shingleton, and this has been Student of the Game. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know by leaving us a rating. And if there's a team that you'd like to see featured in a team building exercise, let us know on our Facebook or Twitter pages. We'll have another episode for you next week, but until then, remember, nuance is important, even in sports.